Hi, I'm Amy Ziering, and I'm a documentary filmmaker. Hi, I'm Kirby Dick. I'm a, a documentary filmmaker as well. This is a case unlike anything that the state of Connecticut had confronted. The report says Pharaoh may have coached the child to tell the story. A terrible thing is being done to the kids. Who on earth could believe that of Woody Allen? I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. The father is Woody Allen, writer, director, actor. The mother is Mia Farrow, his co-star and the mother of his three children. I want to make sure that we're not talking about some type of a Hollywood relationship that's just gone bad. State police confirmed that they are investigating the director. Allen denies child abuse. Woody gave a press conference and our jaws dropped. No matter what you think you know, it's just the tip of the iceberg. That is a trailer from the HBO docuseries, Alan V. Farrow. And this is Factual America. We're brought to you by Alamo Pictures, an Austin and London-based production company making documentaries about America for international audiences. I'm your host, Matthew Sherwood. Today we're talking about Hollywood icons Woody Allen and Mia Farrow who had a 13-year relationship that ended in flames in 1992 in front of the nation's eyes. Uh, At the center of the breakup were allegations that Woody Allen sexually abused Dylan Farrow, the daughter he had adopted with Mia Farrow. The case and the resulting fallout still resonates nearly 30 years later. The scandal has been resurrected this year with the release of the HBO headline-grabbing docuseries Allen v. Farrow. Joining us to discuss this story, the film, and the reaction are the Emmy Award-winning filmmakers Kirby Dick and Amy Ziering. Uh, Kirby and Amy, welcome to Factual America. Thank you. Glad to be here. Nice to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you on. As the uh, listeners have heard, or those on YouTube will have seen uh, the trailers, uh, the film is Alan v. Farrow. That's, uh, how are you guys calling it? Are you calling it Alan versus Farrow or... uh, for our listeners, Alan V. Farrow is like a basically the law, how you would do it in U.S. law. It's a, the, the case, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. The custody case. How you would title a legal brief. Yes. So this is uh, released in the U.S. on HBO in February, uh, released in the U.K. here on Sky, and I imagine it's still available to stream on HBO Max and I think here in the U.K. now TV. And for all of you other people, uh, I'm sure you can find it. You can just uh, Google it uh, somehow. Uh, so thanks again so much, uh, Amy and Kirby, for uh, coming onto the podcast. Congratulations. Um, I mean, certainly at the very least, you've, you've been making a lot of news these last few months. Um, so, uh, Amy, how's, how's the reaction been? How have you found it? Oh, amazing. Beyond, beyond, beyond amazing. I mean, you you never know how things are going to land, and particularly these days with COVID and people not being able to congregate in the ways they used to and, and see things and discuss them and have that kind of a release. We were, you know, we didn't know what to expect, but it's been astonishing. I mean, like, uh, like social blew up. We were trending on Twitter every time a new episode premiered here in the U.S., mm. Um, and, you know, the discussion's been really fascinating and in depth and nuanced and um, enlightening. So, I mean, it's uh, we've been super, super happy. It's opened up a conversation about child abuse and incest that, you know, we're really gratified to see happening at long last. Excellent. I mean, I think um, before we go any further, I mean, I, it maybe because of that media storm, it maybe seem odd to, to put this forward to you, but... Uh, Kirby, maybe before we go any further, you can give everyone um, a little bit of synopsis about uh, what the uh, the docu-series is about. You know, it focuses on uh, the allegation uh, that Dylan Farrow made against Woody Allen about child abuse. And uh, that happened in 1992. And then, you know, we follow the story. Well, we follow, we start actually the story even before that, where how, uh, as you said, uh, Mia Farrow and Woody Allen, you know, were collaborators for 13 years. So we, we begin with, you know, how they met. So it's about a 40 or 50 year story here. And we look at all aspects of it from the, you know, from the personal, from the relationship. Uh, and then, of course, we di- dig deep into the case, because one of the things that's really 
struck us about this is the way it was presented when it first came forward in 1992 and 93 was really only a small part of the story. And it was a really skewed part of the story, skewed toward Woody Allen. And we were able to get, uh, you, you know, tens of thousands of pages of documents that were not available to the public and really look at this much more comprehensively. And then it follows after that, it follows you know, how, how over the next 30 years this played out in the public, because keep in mind that, that this case was the most high, we think it's the most high profile incest case to ever, uh, you know, be covered in the United States. And, and how the, the press reacted and how the, the public learned from this affected the way this country looked at, you know, issues of incest, how the law profession did, how, how uh, you know, journalism covered it for decades. It's, and still does to this day. I mean, this case yeah. became sort of a template for the ways in which court family courts work in the U.S. That's ever since. Yeah. And that, that's what's really significant and important about us. Yeah. So or to say it just in a, in a slightly different way and more compact, you know, this is a in-depth investigation into the allegations that were made in, in, by Dylan Farrow against her father, Woody Allen. And it's the first real real uh, no stone unturned look at the facts and the evidence, which until now we didn't know and the public really wasn't privy to. And how does that change things and affect and influence our perspective on what happened and how it influenced the course of history? And uh, I mean, you'll appreciate the old print journalist in me will just come out and say that Woody Allen has refuted these allegations, um, just so we're clear with everyone. Um, But... uh, uh, Amy, why make this film now? <laughs> why not? Yeah, well, exactly. But I mean, you know what? I was... love that question. Well, I think <laughs> like it's so funny because, well, as I said, this wasn't just something that mm-hmm. happened in the past. This is something that happened in the past and has palpable, yeah. real consequences today. I think that people don't know that or understand that. And so I'll, I'll repeat it and say that the strategy that Woody Allen used to defend himself against these allegations was to invert mm the narrative was to say, it's not me. I, it's not, I didn't do this. I am actually the victim. And that strategy became what to this day, fathers, when they are accused of abuse, that's their first go-to was to say, it's not me. It's the mother. She's crazy. There's a term that someone coined called DARVO for this, which is um, deny, attack, reverse victim and offender. DARVO. You just simply flip the tables. And he did that so well and so effectively that you know, this story was pretty much buried and everybody thought they knew it. And, oh, well, you know, we don't really know. And we love Woody and she's probably crazy. It it kind of stuck. And so that's why we felt it was important, you know, and isn't isn't a story in the past. It's it's a story that's it reverberates right now and has even more urgency to really look at, evaluate and learn from. Okay, I think that's a good point. I mean, just to interject personally, I mean, as someone who was living in the U.S. East Coast at that time, um, if anything, if if I was trying to think back, what was I? I mean, I was pretty young, but uh, what do I remember that? And it's more, if nothing else, you thought it was this horrible custody battle, basically this this divorce or that was, or well, not a real divorce because I'm never married, but I mean, you know, this 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 messy breakup that was playing out in front of our eyes, and that's just kind of how we. I mean, I think some of us may have simply remembered it and then boxed it and shelved it, I guess, um, you know, right. all these years. Exactly, uh, yeah, but no, that that's... wasn't accidental. I mean, yeah, that was part right. of the strategy and we all fell for it, you know, as we show in the series, you know, and actually I just to go back to the title, Alan B. Farrow, you know, that in itself encapsulates the whole dilemma, right? We, yeah. we thought that this was about, it, 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 it erases and effaces that this was actually about a child crying out about abuse. And suddenly it becomes about a father saying that, you know, his, he's being falsely accused. And that was the public narrative that ran and everyone and had, we had, and had traction and still did. And that you were susceptible to, and I was, of, yeah. you know, of that age too. Yeah. I mean, interesting point. First thing, first time I've even thought about this, but uh, it kind of has echoes of Kramer versus Kramer, doesn't it? Which was a film that had been really, really big in the, in the, well, I'm not, I can't remember when that came out, but I guess the seventies or early eighties. Um, uh, but Kirby, I mean, it is a story that still still divides, even as I guess you've found out after you've you've released this. And it's kind of a he said, she said, she said sort of thing in some people's 
minds? Well, we found in, in a lot of people's minds, a lot of people who have that opinion that it's still unknowable yeah. are people who have refused to watch the series. It's very interesting. People do not want their conception of reality shifted, and they will do whatever they can to avoid that. So, um, but I think for most people who watch the series and see how much evidence there is, how consistent Dylan is, how many, I mean, there were, there were um, multiple uh, investigations into this by state agencies and all the, the people who uh, sort of led those investigations for each of those believed Dylan. I mean, over and over and over again, um, you know, she comes off, I mean, her, her, her presentation of the facts are supported by, by a wide range of supporting facts. So, um, you know, there's always going to be people who, I mean, we live in a misogynistic society. There are always going to be people who are going to want to, want to believe this icon that they've identified with. In fact, what's really interesting is that, um, there's a lot of what we realized very early on is that is that critics, very open, you know, open minded critics who are interacting with us um, uh, were, were really struggling with the fact that this icon, you know, Woody Allen, he's an, an he's a very uh, you know good filmmaker, no question. And a lot of critics came up with him and identified with him. And it was very hard for these critics, even though they accepted the facts still to actually shift their allegiance. And it was a struggle. They were, you know, and uh, that was interesting to us. You know, we hadn't actually thought about it from the point of view of the critic who, who mm. for so many, Woody Allen is, is, is formative, really. And yeah. for some people, it's why they probably went into film criticism. You do touch on it in one of the episodes, too, about this, these public personas and how difficult it is for some of us to knowledge that they may be at the very least flawed uh or even worse um for all of us yeah for all of us i mean everyone no one we are we are you know ourselves as well we're all subject to identifying with our you know people who we you know idolize i suppose in some ways yeah. i'm not assuming you've seen any of our episodes but uh, what we tend to do is we do tend to go through this but the more the story and then we get into sort of more of the filmmaking side but i think because it's been out for a couple months and it's made such a big splash um i don't i mean we'll talk cer certainly we'll talk more about the the facts of the bit of the facts of the case and and what you found while you were doing this but i think Hence why I'm asking some of these questions now, uh, kind of more up front, because it's kind of an interesting kind of looking back on on the reactions and everything. Um, but how did you all, um, you know, get involved with this, this specifically Alan V. Farrow? I mean, did you did you start off making that film or was there a uh, Amy? Were you looking to make something different? And then this subject kind of came along. No, we, we very much were not looking to make this film. It, I like to say that our films find us, and this is a really good case study of that. Yeah. We were making something entirely different, and we just were interviewing Dylan for what we thought was going to be a very different project, just looking at women who spoke up in the wake of Me Too and what the difference of their, the reception yeah. of their testimony was. And we had five days in Brooklyn, and we had five interviews a day, and she was one of those interviews for that, what we then envisioned as a series. But in the course of doing the interview with her, we were like, Wait what? <laughs> Wait, what? So much that she said didn't accord with, as you pointed out, was yeah. the dominant narrative that we right. all believed and grew up to believe. And so, you know, we sidebarred, we talked with Amy Hurdy, who's our amazing lead investigative producer and our pro producer and the co-creator of the series. Mm. And she said, let me go, let me go at this. I see I, I'm, I'm, I, there's so much more there. Let's, let's do a deep dive. And so we were like, sure. Okay. You know, why not? Let's see what it yields. And that's, that's, that was its genesis. And we really did just follow the, the, the trail of breadcrumbs and follow mm -hmm. the facts. And it really is for those that haven't seen it. It's a riveting thriller. I mean, you know, you do see this sort of you know, curiosity and inquiry and very open mind. And we didn't know where it would land until, you know, as Kirby said, we just there we didn't know there were eyewitnesses. We didn't know, you know, mm. that mm. we didn't understand that the custody case was actually came 
only in a reaction to, you know, the initial Dylan, you know, having said this to a, a pediatrician at some point. And so that, you know, the best, the best defense is a good offense and the best thing is to distract. And so he immediately pivoted and, you know, decided like, for custody. Let's, let's sue for custody when there was like, no, you know, and so we, anyway, so we kept going down all the different rabbit holes and that that's how the project came about. Okay. Following those rabbit holes, then was the, was the idea to say, okay, this is going to be, I hate to put it this way, because I'm not trying to mimic what some, maybe some others have said. I actually tr- do my best not to read what others have said. But uh, um, I mean, you say in the, f- I know it's, you've got titles that say you've reached out to Woody Allen and Soon Yi, who's as well, we can go a little bit more about who some of these people are, who, for people who are not familiar, um, and uh, one of the pharaohs. But uh, was it your intent going in, we're going to try to tell both sides of the story, or did that become precluded from you? How did you try to a- approach that? Because it obviously the people who have the main voice are are certainly Mia Farrow and rightfully uh, Dylan Dylan Farrow in this. What we do and what we did in this case is we're gonna we're gonna tell the truth. We're going to tell the story. Right. And, um, and so, um, uh, we, you know, we investigated and again, I just want to give a, a shout out to our co-creator, Amy Hurdy, who's yeah. in my opinion, you know, the, one of the best, if not the best investigator, uh, and, you know, uh, investigative reporter, uh, you know, looking into sexual assault crimes in the country. And she was able to get so much information that wasn't out there. And that allowed us to really make an accurate presentation of the story. Now, um, obviously, you know, we, it didn't surprise us that Woody Allen came out and said, oh, no, that's yeah. not true. That's, the, that's, not, that's the wrong side of the story. Right. But we actually, we actually put his position in the film all the way through. You know, he, he did a, 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 a book, he wrote a book, a memoir, Apropos of Nothing, and, you know, then read an audio book of that. And his voice is in the film where, you know, talking about the, ho- the whole history of this meeting Mia, you know, adopting Dylan, um, the, the case, everything. So his position is in there. The other thing to keep in mind about Woody Allen is he doesn't have much more to say than what he said in 1992, which is I didn't do it. Right. He, he will not go into detail of that day. He, there is an, there was an incredible amount. He avoided, you know, he was not straightforward. You know, he avoided being interviewed by the police for months and months, you know, so basically what he, and even if he did an interview, which we would loved him to do, and we, you know, obviously offered him the opportunity to, I'm sure what he would have said is the same thing he said before is that Mia is crazy. This is, you know, she's vindictive. I didn't do it, but Mm -hmm. The facts point in a much different direction. Okay, so I, I have a slightly different answer. I mean, I, to answer this, uh, amplify what Kirby's saying yeah. is the the. Did you watch the series, Matthew? By any chance? I've watched all four episodes from beginning to end. <laughs> yes, I okay. have. I can, so, t- and I have so, a. I have to say, I have a bit of a memory for these sort of things, so mm-hmm. I can t- probably give you details about different scenes. <laughs> Uh, some okay, that I would no, like I was, to forget, to be honest. Curious, but. I, was, I was curious because your question, like we didn't show both sides, just struck me as odd, as odd because, you know, I don't feel like we, you know, I, I want to A, say, of course, we asked Woody yeah. on more than one occasion to do an interview and he yes. declined. The standing offer is open for him to come and interview with us anytime. We're more than welcome to. Yeah. The third thing I'll say, as Kirby did show, is that his voice is represented throughout. Mm. You know, you see him in press conferences, you see him in, you know, um, news appearances, you hear his book, which account, you know, in his own voice, accounting for what, Mm. you know, his version of events. So I don't really feel like I'm just surprised by a question which says you didn't really show both sides because I I think he was (laughs) quoting somebody. he, He was quoting some of the. Um, some, you know, so, some criticism. So let me see. So this is revealing my unskill, my lack of skill as an interviewer. Um, I think what I was trying to show is, because this is, let's say I'm watching this. My wife was very interested, but I couldn't get the link to work on the TV. So I had to watch a laptop and she's going to watch it uh, later. Um, so she's asking me all kinds of questions about what is, it, you know, what are you seeing? And um, 
you know, and then I, you know, I, I do, I do tend not to read before doing these, read any other people's critiques or reviews. But you can, this thing's been on the news so much, so you see a few things, and it's been interesting to see who's been saying what, and not, and different things. So, what struck me, and so I'm thinking, well, should I be thinking this too? You know, and I didn't. Uh, I will say I've given it some thought, and I was like, but. Because it struck me, but I was just curious if you had, you know, because this is something you also said about how you just kind of started following the breadcrumbs and it led you to this to this story. The story finds you. Um, that that's his side of the story has been the dominant narrative all these years. So as far as I'm concerned, this isn't like some case no one's ever heard of. And this isn't trying to be in my opinion, some sort of true crime doc, and we're supposed to sit there and figure out what's the, you know, I think, you, like I think, was it Kirby you said, you you did the investigation and you were trying, you're, as you see it, you're trying to get to the truth and this is this is what you're putting on the screen for us to, to see. Is that, exactly. is that fair? Right, yeah, and yeah, the, truth, the truth doesn't have many sides, right? And I think there's been a shift in last 30 years of this idea that, mm. you know, Things aren't well represented if you don't hear from another side, but we often know that, you know, the other side has a vested interest in not telling the truth. Yeah. yeah well, I know one thing yeah, I was going to say. Let's go ask Exxon what they think about climate change. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what, 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 you know, whereas let's ask for investigative reporters and filmmakers who have no mm. bias or agenda what the evidence yielded. That's the story. Yeah. It, and I know, I agree. And I think, I mean, it's worth saying, I mean, didn't they, because you've, it was a bit laughable. I remember at the time when I heard about it, and I saw a lot of comments on social media. But they tried to get you to not be able to use the uh, his uh, audiobook excerpts yeah. from that, didn't it? Which is like, you know, that's it's a, it's a bit crazy, isn't it? I mean, how yeah, no, how no, hard no, did I mean, they come at you for that, or was that just more of a kind of PR sort of stunt? I mean, you'll have to ask them. Um, yeah. You know, uh, we you know we have very good attorneys and they're very confident that this is, you know, it's, you know, constitutionally protected yeah. fair use of yes. this. So, um, yeah, but, uh, yeah, that was his, that was the publisher. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think that, um, a lot of this, what you're seeing is really, uh, misogyny that's deeply baked into the society that it's hard, you know, once, particularly once you identify with somebody who's powerful or successful to, to believe that that person has, you know, committed these kind of crimes. But, you know, I mean, again, it's just as, you know, everything is completely corroborated in the film. You know, we had banks of lawyers literally looking at this mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, we're confident yeah. with, you know, where we landed. Okay. And Amy, I mean, one thing that strikes me is you've, really as filmmakers had to win the confidence of the of the pharaohs in order for them to open their up their lives like this well it's very different in every situation and amy hurdy was really our point of contact for the most part throughout the shooting and the filmmaking mm -hmm. but i also want to establish that there was a real a real wall like we don't this isn't a collaboration this isn't like Fair we keep yeah. that and and you know we approached them and just said we're going to do what we do and we're going to give it a fair shake, but there's no promises otherwise, you know, and they were very reluctant and trepidatious throughout. It doesn't show on camera, but an anecdote I'll tell is Mia's actually wearing my shirt in, in, in one of the interviews because she showed up in a, in a ratty sweatshirt for the first interview after a year of us, you know, asking her. And she was like, you know, I'm done. I'm good. You know, you do what you do. You love my daughter. And then Dylan finally said, mom, please do this for me. And it was really Dylan's um, plea that Mia finally said, okay, I'll show up. But her act of defiance was to show up <laughs> yeah. in a ratty sweatshirt. And then I was really terrified. She was going to bolt to the door. The second, right, you know, I right. look at her, looks at me and I'm like, you can't sit in that seat and no one's going to take you seriously. If you sit there like that. And had, I was just wearing a silk blouse and gave her my blouse, took a, took a cruise t-shirt and put it on and we did the interview. But I say that as, and, and what I found out much later is for that day on, she referred to me as the silk blouse lady, which I don't think was a term of endearment, but, 
<laughs> I tell that anecdote just to underline how like they weren't like, gee, let's go, let's do this. I mean, it was really okay, yeah. you know, as long as you follow the facts, we feel like we might be safe, but we've been burned by the media so many times. And so it was it was more that dance with them than a dance of, you know. So is uh, so Mia re- reluctantly doing this because uh, Dylan's basically pleaded with her to to go ahead. Is that how you would? Dylan felt like, yeah, that their story had never been heard and had always been railroaded and manipulated and contorted. And she knew the facts were on their side. And she knew from our body of work that, you know, that's what, that's what we do. You know, we don't, we don't follow stories and fairy tales. We leave that to a great cineast like Woody Allen. We follow truths. And so it was, you know, she, after that initial interview, Amy Hurdy kept in touch with her and said, you know, you blew us away and we want to Mm -hmm. do this. And then she, Again, she was reluctant throughout, but she was more um, the one who saw. Well, okay, maybe there's a maybe there's a reason yeah. you know, to 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 do this that might you know yeah. be a benefit for everybody. When you first started reaching out to her, that'd be about 2018. Is that right? Kirby's my fact checker. Yes. Yeah, I think in, in 2018. Right. I'm only asked that because I think it's just interesting because I think. Um, I mean, I think we've been doing a pretty good job of not having any spoiler alerts here. I don't know. Uh, that wasn't the point, but uh, she was. Might as well say it. I mean, it's no. That's this is not this is not something that's a spoiler. It's 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 the facts of the situation. Uh, she was seven years old when this. Um, she alleges this incident happened, and she's been. I mean, I, I, if I may say, what I found it com- very compelling about this film is. I really feel like you see it, and it, it certainly hit me at the end on the end of the fourth episode is seeing things through the the victim. However you fall, you know, if people, I'm not trying to, you know, if someone wants to be on one side or the other, whatever, but whatever happened, something traumatic definitely happened to this young woman uh, as a child and through her life. I mean, I think that comes becomes quite clear and how she has struggled with it and where she's gotten to at this point. I think that's a, it's a, lovely i thought that was one of the if 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 there's an uplifting side to the story i think that's that's one of one of them um, well one of our goals was to show the long-lasting effects a lot of people think these crimes are one-offs and what's the big deal and it was just a misunderstanding and what we've learned not only from this project but from our, our previous films which have dealt with sexual assault and sexual harassment invisible war the hunting ground yeah. and on the record on the records on hbo max which you remind me because your purple wall colors pay homage to it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> happy to happy to oblige. HBO Max's, <laughs> HBO Max's color. So, uh, um, but anyways, on the record, which is incredible, <laughs> and I do recommend to anyone listening. Oh my God, that's a mic drop film on this. But what all those works do, but mostly on the record and and Alan B. Farrow show is these kinds of events are long lasting. You know, the trauma is not punctual. You know. <laughs> And it manifests in ways, you know, the rest of your life. And that has a domino effect on your loved ones, on the mm. way you operate in the world. And that was really important for us to show, you know, and 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 we've heard from survivors, you know, post all of our films, but particularly post the last two about how healing and cathartic that was to see and how they could identify and see themselves and how loved ones finally saw them and understood them mm. from having watched, watched Alan V. Farrow. Okay, I think that's uh, I think that's a very good point. I mean, I think maybe what we'll do is we'll take a, a bit of an early break here for our sponsor, and we'll uh, we'll be right back with Amy Ziering and Kirby Dick, the directors and producers of Alan V. Farrow. You're listening to Factual America. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Alamo Pictures to keep up to date with new releases or upcoming shows. Check out the show notes to learn more about the program, our guests, and the team behind the production. Now back to Factual America. Welcome back to Factual America. I'm here with the directors and producers, Kirby Dick and Amy Ziering, HBO documentary Alan V. Farrow that released in February on uh, in February on HBO and uh, March here in the UK on Sky, and I know is available to stream on HBO Max and Now TV, along with... On the record, right? You, which you gave a shout out to. Uh, that's that's available there too. So, um, I, I'll direct this to both of you. But I, you know, Kirby, maybe it's your turn. Uh, what 
So you've kind of alluded to this, but uh, as you said, you're going down these rabbit holes. What surprised you the most in your, um, maybe both in the original investigation and your own investigation? Well, I, I'd say first uh, would, is the amount of supporting evidence um, yeah. that was, you know, that, you know, and there were multiple investigations that uh, took place. And as I said, the lead investigators in each of those investigations um, state investigations all inter interviewed Dylan and believed her. And these are people who are professionals. That, that's what they do. They're able to make that judgment. One of those investigations, the New York State investigation, there was an incredible cover-up because when the investigator was moving forward and wanted to, you know, had, had in, in, interviewed Dylan and wanted to move it into a criminal case, that's when the cover-up happened in the New York State. And it was really kind of shocking. It went all the way up to the mayor's office, in fact, and uh, which says something about how powerful Woody Allen was. And I think maybe now for people, it's hard to imagine because Woody Allen's sort of waning in his power now, but he was at the peak of his power at that time, particularly in New York City, which was his town. And so... That was really one of the shocking things is, is the is the amount of cover up in that particular investigation, because if that had moved moved through, um, I think this the, there would have been entirely different presentation of this case. Mm. I mean, related to that, because you kind of alluded to it, um, probably at the risk of like, well, I won't say exactly the name of the organization, but this first study that was I mean, that even shows up now. You, you do a Google and the first thing that comes up is this study at um Yale New Haven or something. I mean, right. did you find any evidence there that it was, I mean, because it's an odd one, because seemingly the case social workers were like, no, no, there's there's evidence here, yet it got it got quashed, didn't it? I mean, or, or not just quashed, they, they just, they came out and came up with very different conclusions that then people have used and run with, but the, even the, as you, I think what was excellent was having the, uh, the state prosecutor, who's, who was still around, at least when you were filming, uh, say that uh, you know that it was it was ridiculous um, and it wasn't corroborated by by anyone else. No, that that's entirely that's entirely true. And um, and one of the things that was most shocking about the Yale and Haven study is they destroyed their notes. Right. So they came up with a conclusion. But there was no way, and, and as you said, uh, at least one of the investigators, you know, uh, during the process believed Dylan. That's not mentioned at all in the final report. And then when people tried to dig into that, um, they said they destroyed their notes and that was their policy, which they were part working with a, um, a state prosecutor. This was a criminal case. So every interview that Yale New Haven did with any of the witnesses, and especially with Dylan, is evidence and would become evidence in this criminal case. So they were destroying evidence in a criminal case. I mean, and, and it's we've talked to experts across the country, and it's it's just astonishing to them that, you know, uh, an, an investigator brought on by the, you know, the prosecutor would be destroying notes. Yeah. What? Unless, you know, it just, I mean, we don't know. We don't have proof, but it, it really, it, it looks like they were covering their tracks. Yeah. What, what was so surprising to me, I mean, there's so much. If you're a viewer, like, I think every episode is full of, mm. it's chock full of surprises that are shocking. Watching the Verite footage, Mia was this amateur cineast, and so she filmed, yeah. who knew that there'd be like this trove of home videos. So it's like, you are an eyewitness yourself and you draw your own conclusions and you can see what's going on right in front of your eyes. But also that there was what, you know, there were shockers throughout, but for me also there that, you know, as what Kirby and you just alluded to, the level of cover-up that happened throughout the different investigations and the level of retribution and punishment that were, that were wielded on people that were just trying to investigate yeah. this case, mind-blowing mind-blowing like have no idea and like if you look at our twitter threads you'll see justice for some of the people that you know mm. were caught in the in the in the wake of this you know just doing their job you know have no agenda have no horse in the race have no side to take you know and just in the course of doing their job because they might have come up with something that was damning towards one of the parties you know got you know 
got got huge, had huge repercussions, were fired, were yeah. reprimanded, you know, kind of had witch hunts after them. So that was to me really shocking. Well, I mean, and I, not to make too much, dwell on it too much, but this whole Yale New Haven thing, I mean, what struck me is that not only do they come to these, they, they tell Woody Allen directly so he can have a, you know, they haven't even told the prosecutor, I don't think yet. And they right. just release it to Woody Allen's people and you can have a big, big press release right in front of, you know, proclaiming he's been exonerated, you know. Right. On their on their steps. Right. Yeah. I mean, if they were, quote unquote, objective, I mean, that would be the last thing they would do. I mean, they did <clears throat> let the prosecutor know the, you know, uh, the day before. But okay. yes, it's it's exactly you're exactly right. I mean, that made it look like. Um, you know, to be used that backdrop may, you know, just strongly suggest mm. some sort of, I mean, you know, collusion. Authorization. I don't think there's any other way you can say it. Yeah. Um, I think you, you both, well, um, certainly you did, Amy, talk about all the bombshells in this, in this film. And, um, you know, one thing we do see for the first time publicly aired is the uh, video filmed of, by uh, Mia Farrow of, of Dylan. Uh, and that's Dylan at seven, frankly, talking about um, the abuse. Um, how did you, I mean, how do you make that decision as filmmakers? And you, did you, I mean, have you had, did you watch the whole video and then you, um, I mean, these are, or make that decision whether to air it or not. And how, how did they, you know, I mean, it must've been very difficult for them to um, want that to, to see the light of day. Well, it's it was it was Dylan's decision. You know, it's not our decision to make. It's the person who's in, you know, in the tape. She had ownership of the tape. Mia gave the tape to Dylan when Dylan became at over twenty years old or was of age. You know, to sort yeah. of okay. understand and 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 she said, "This is you. This is you know, you should have this." And it, you know, Dylan basically put it in a closet. And we knew it existed because it sort of was part of the story and something right. no one had you know, that had never gone public. And so we just asked Dylan, can we look at it just for our own background research? And we totally get it if you're not cool with that. And she wasn't at first. And then one day when we were filming on something else at the end and we were literally packing up and there was a snowstorm coming, she had like a change of heart and said, you know, if you guys want to watch it, you can watch it right here with me. I'm not going to hand it to you, but we can watch it. And so we changed our plans and stopped everything yeah. and we sat and watched it with her. So that's how that came about. And then it took more time. And then again, we didn't, it was no pressure. I mean, I am survivor first, her emotional health comes first. And, you know, yeah. she came to us and said, if there's a way you can use this and this will help other children and help other adults who have mm -hmm. suffered, you can do it responsibly, even though it is so personal to me and I am so vulnerable you know, to having this go public. I want you to do that because I really want to help others. So that's how it all kind of happened. Okay. But it's, you know, yeah, for viewers, it's really harrowing and it's really, I think, important to bear witness to, you know, and I, I'm grateful. And actually we have heard, you know, there's been an outpouring of people saying, thank God you showed that, you know, that is so important for people to really see. Okay. Yeah, that it's a seven-year-old girl. I mean, that's sometimes what people forget when they're listening yeah. to Dylan as an adult, that this is, this is a seven-year-old girl, and that resonates, I think, because the issue of incest is so covered up in this country. It's important, and this is, you know, a, a testament to Dylan's courage to be a part of this. Is mm. it's important to get this this issue out into the public, uh, and you know, have a discussion around it. Yeah, I think I agree. It's harrowing as a father myself. I mean, it's it was very difficult. Makes very difficult watching, uh, but. Um, I, I think it's handled with, well, with utmost respect to, um, um, to the victim. So, um, but, uh, yes, it's not, uh, it's not meant to be an easy subject matter. I've, I've grant you that, um, in terms of making this movie, I mean, this is, uh, Kirby, this is sort of, uh, I'm not trying to change tack too much, but, um, it's, it's more than one film, isn't it? It's, it feels like, uh three to four films almost in one. Is that how you thought about structuring the, trying to, to, to tell this story? You mean the structure, the episode structure? Yeah, of and not Farrow? just purely because it's episodes and so there's four of them, so there's four different films. I mean, it does feel like you have a, 
you have a well, it's just my viewing of it. You've got an sort of episode three is sort of different. It's uh, uh, narrative narrated narrated um, sort of the investigation. Maybe episodes one and two or everything kind of leading up to this. Uh, maybe they and then you've got episode four, which I want to ask about later, but uh, which I found very interesting and and compelling. But uh, is that how? I mean, is that how? How did you approach telling this? Well, I mean, it's an epic story, right? I mean, that's yeah. one of it, it's happening on so many levels. Um, you know, it's a it's a family story, I guess, first and foremost, right? Um, um, and uh, of course, it's uh, you you have these people who are celebrities who are really acclaimed, and so there's that aspect of it and that experience. You have, of course, Dylan is a survivor, her experience, and then you have the way the press covers it. You have the way how how this story influenced the American legal system too, mm. uh, and yeah, I think negatively. I mean, actually, yeah. I think um, you know many many the, the net effect of this trial and the way that it was covered meant that many survivors of of, of abuse ended up living or being given custody, um, be, having to live with their abuser. So there, it's really an epic story. And, um, and we wanted to cover as well as this whole issue about art v artists too. And, and there's mm -hmm. a, you know, there's a real analysis and, you know, yeah. of, yeah. of, you know how you know critics and how they sh and, and film viewers should mm -hmm. approach uh, somebody's work like Woody Allen. So, yeah, it's an epic story, and we but we wanted to really kind of fully cover not only the story but the the you know the social and cultural consequences of the story. Yeah. So, it was a challenge, but you know we had really good editors, and um, you know we've worked in this arena, you know, in other films, so it it, it allowed us. Um, you know, uh, to approach this with sort of a, a history and a depth of understanding that, you know, really, I think, allowed us to pull it off, actually. I think that's a very important point you make, uh, Kirby, because what I do remember, whatever I was picking up, I was never privy to any of these sort of cases or thing, is that we all kind of got a view that if there was a messy custody battle, the woman immediately alleges abuse. Now, I'm sure maybe a few, you know, that has maybe happened, but um, but that is kind of, it was almost, I, I think for listeners, if they, you know, don't know or they're of a different, much younger, it is true. I think it was, you know, you just knew about these cases and immediately you kind of said all the, um, you know, there's going to be alleges of abuse and it's a tactic to, you know, go for the kids. And I think it really undermined what I'm sure were many many legitimate cases. Well, the, the standard playbook is as soon as that happens, it's a sue for custody right. because then it, it's, a, it's, a, it, it's immediately a custody dispute, just automatically, right? Mm -hmm. It just gets thrown into the custody debate. And, and in, in nearly all cases, it's a mother trying to do the right thing and protect their child. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what's so sad about this is that uh, because, I, you know, I think so many... Um, defense attorneys watched Woody Allen's effective use of this, certainly in terms of the PR campaign. Mm. And, and I think it really caused this strategy to proliferate. And as I said, the net result of that is that children who've been abused are given, uh, the, the fathers who are the abusers are given custody of the children who have been abused. And, mm. and I don't think anyone can imagine a more horrific situation than you know to have a child pulled away from her mother who's trying to protect her and given over to the father who's going to continue to abuse her without anyone protecting them yeah, indeed um now one thing i was going to say you could have in theory i think you uh, you obviously didn't but you could have stopped in terms of just putting the case out there you could have almost stopped after episode three i guess but um and I had stopped there at one point, and then my wife was like, well, have they brought up this? And have they mentioned this? And are they, you know, uh, what about, you know, the people that defend him and all this stuff? And, you know, and I'm like, well, I don't know, maybe. And I'm being too, well, maybe that's not really part of the story arc, or you don't have to, you know. But, and then I watched episode four, and all the questions I was had in my mind that I thought would need to be asked, you answer, I feel, 
and I found it to be a very um, powerful and poignant episode. Amy, do you want to say something about that? Was that, I mean, really, is that where this is all leading? It's it's trying to put this into the uh, context of how things may be changing slow, too slowly, but have been changing of late. Many people say it's their favorite episode, interestingly enough, which is really interesting to us. But as Kirby and you both talked about earlier about structure, I mean, this really was an epic story. It has so many, it's so rich and it's so important in so many ways. You know, it is as an exemplary kind of nuclear family story about child abuse and incest right there as a as a as an instructive tale about the power of celebrity and impunity and the ways you know our media kind of can give shield and be complicit with you know the aura of a celebrity and and and, and then also of course the the legal the way that this this case uniquely had such a resounding re, 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 lasting impact on the family courts at least in the United States so that can't all be done in one episode. So the short version of a long answer to your story is we had all these different elements. We were constantly juggling all these things we were really interested in exploring. And then we kind of structurally figured out, you know, where and how to place it. But it was never all those questions that are that you said are answered or addressed or raised in episode four were always at play. It just was that made the most sense in terms of, you know, narrative arc and um keeping a really tight and compelling, you know, uh, act structure and, and narrative thread, investigative thread throughout. That's where it landed in the, in the, in the, in the, a lot of it in the fourth episode, which for those that haven't listened, that's really the, the it, what happened in the wake, you know, the first three episodes, like, Oh my God, these allegations happened. What really went down and how was it portrayed? And that's what you watch in one, two, and three and, and, you know, and, and what was covered up and what did and didn't happen. And then in episode four, you're like, what was the aftermath of all this? You know, what happened to Woody after, mm. you know, after all this happened, what, what's he been doing for 30 years? What happened to Dylan? What happened to Mia? What happened to that whole family? You yeah. know, all those kids. And that's what you see. And then, you know, we address the larger social questions and then, you know, how did it affect critics, actors, actresses, mm. you know, the media, you know, what, what, what was that afterlife like? And so that's, and we felt that was, you know, and people are really grateful for that. And as you said, they say, wow, that really answered a lot of my questions. Maybe what people respond to as well is that there is, despite all the horrific things that uh, obviously Dylan has gone through and the families uh, family has gone through, and then what we go through as, uh, as viewers is that moving on, you know, Dylan has been able to, I hate to say moving on. I'm, I feel like I'm saying something that's the wrong way of putting it, but her, she is, you know, it's, there is hope, you know, in, in her life in terms of her own situation, in terms of relationships and, and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, she has, you know, she's really struggled with this, worked with this, um, but again, I think it's it's a testament to her strength and courage. I mean, keep in mind that she, you know, first went public herself about this and talked about her experience mm -hmm. in 2014. And this was several years before the Me Too movement. Um, yeah. And of course, there was an incredible blowback in many ways, uh, you know, orchestrated by Woody Allen and, and, and his PR team. But she's, you know, she stood strong. And, uh, and I think, provided an example to Hollywood to the, and to the country and maybe in some ways to the world about, you know, the, the courage of coming forward and, you know, standing by your truth. And I, I think, you know, her coming forward in 2014, you know, had an influence on the, the Me Too movement happening. Because remember, it came out of Me Too movement exploded out of out of Hollywood in a lot of yeah. ways. And yeah. So who would be paying most attention to the story? People in Hollywood, and it would be survivors in Hollywood who would probably be paying the most attention to the story. And I think they were very influenced. And um, and it was a real model for them when they came forward. I mean, you've you more than just allude to it in the film, but uh, you know, there are people who've come out very strongly and it's part of the Me Too wave about certain individuals. Um, but yet still defend uh, Woody Allen. Do you find that hard to to square that circle? 
No, I mean, as we show in the film, and it's not to put a target. I mean, I really, we're not pointing a finger. I mean, they are susceptible to the same toxins all of us are. So, you know, they didn't have the information. I don't, I don't know what, what their position would be post our, if our series, if they watch it, Yeah. but I don't really, you know. Hence why I didn't name any names. (laughs) I was just saying, you know, but it is interesting that there are, you know, uh, as, and as I think you say, um, He's, you know, individuals. Well, we, you've, you, you, the, the series does a lot on that. I mean, certainly in terms of this sort of how, how to deal with is those who've grown up with a, a, an iconic figure, basically, uh, right. and how to and someone that. they love and have a lot yeah. invested. In. You know, this is someone very dear to very many, many, many people, and we've seen that before. It's a very profound connection you have to people that have nourished you and nurtured you and to some extent and did aspirational role yeah. models for you, yeah. you know, and entertained you. And yeah, I mean, he's, he's had a profound influence in, in very many positive, positive ways on, mm-hmm. on a wide range of people. Yeah. So, you know, you've, you've got this creative partnership uh, and you just personally, the uh, best way I could put it, you, you deal with some heavy subjects in your, in your films. Um, and I know directors who can only do one of these, and then they say, I've got to move on to something different. Uh, uh, and you tend to do them one after the other. I mean, how, how do you manage that? Or, or you know, how did, how did you get started sort of making these investigative films on these very uh, difficult subjects? I'll let Kirby answer, but since our time's coming to an end, I just also want to give a shout out because I remembered that uh, your purple balls reminded me that eight, um, Invisible War and Hunting Ground are also now on HBO Max. And you can watch, since Kirby's going to talk about how we do this body of work, you can watch our whole body of work. And just a shout out, Invisible War was nominated for an Oscar, won two new Emmys. It's a very riveting look at mm. assault in the military, and it was groundbreaking. Broke the story there, broke the story in France, broke the story in Australia. I mean, it then became sort of something that militaries around the world yeah. looked at and got letters from. So very proud of that. And it's actually a really riveting film with powerful, powerful subjects. Hunting Ground, likewise, broke the story of the epidemic of rape on our campuses. Lady Gaga sang the song at the Oscars. It, which was a mic, honestly, a mic drop moment before we had the terror mic drop. Um, mm. And, you know, that at, with survivors on stage, you know, kids from college campuses from that movie, and it went viral, and that film changed policy on thousands of campuses. And now I will turn the mic over to Kirby, who's <laughs> going to talk about that over of films, which you can watch on HBO Max. And we will, uh, and thanks for that shout out, and we'll put some links uh, in, in the show notes. Oh, great. Yeah, we can definitely do that. And on to you, Kirby. Well, I mean, for me personally, um, it, it, I actually, um, you know, I'd made a number of films that were more uh, psychological examinations they're, they're of, 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 of characters, um, mm. of people, actually. And um, there was always a, a real political element to them. And of course, Amy and, and I had made together a, a film on Jacques Derrida, which, of course, there's a lot of political elements, even as you're looking mm-hmm. into his theory, it's, it's laced with that. Yeah. And, um, but I, I made a film called twist of faith about clergy sexual abuse shortly mm-hmm. after, you know, the Boston globe, uh, story published yeah. its uh, expose. And, um, uh, what was interesting, again, I was looking at the experience of one survivor, um, and, uh, and, you know, looking at it from kind of a psychological and sort of narrow, narrower political uh, perspective. And the film got picked up by state legislatures who were trying to change the statute of limitations and saying, because it had showed the experience of the survivor and how this kind of abuse as a teenager rippled for decades and decades. And so they started using the film, you know, to kind of help change laws. And that's when I realized, whoa, this is, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not only making films for a film audience, um, I'm making films for a much broader audience. And I, should, and I should start thinking about that. And that's, you know, and then shortly after that, you know, Amy and I started working on The Invisible War. And we realized, I mean, this... You know, this is an uh, you know the issue of rape in the military had been covered up repeatedly uh, mm-hmm. by the military, in spite of a, a couple of attempts to expose it. They had been completely successful in suppressing it, 
And so we, we realized how important getting this story out was and really trying to at least get it into the public consciousness. What we didn't anticipate, as, as Amy described, was that it, the, the impact of it. It actually changed laws. But so, you know, I think it's an important thing in our work. You know, we're dealing with issues that, you know, have been covered up, that have huge, um, not only personal consequences, but social and political consequences. And we like to have all that at play in our film. So we're, we're not only making this for a film audience, we're making it for a much broader audience as well. Okay. And Amy, what's the key? So you, you guys have this creative partnership. What's, what's the key to that, to that success? Or anyone who's trying to have a creative partnership? How do you, how do you, how, how do you become, because you, you've been extremely successful in what, in what you do? In, I don't know about other cases. In our cases, it's sort of just dumb luck. It's a magical outcome. Oh, I can't. Well, it, no, I mean it's dumb luck that our strengths are so That's complementary, true. and that it actually works. I mean, I don't. I don't know a lot. You know, what I mean, like to me, directing is a really personal thing, and you tend to be a control freak, and you tend to have a huge ego, and so the, that does not necessarily go with a really easy co-directing kind of situation. If that's what that's what I'm saying, so. Yeah find two people that actually really, you know, deeply trust, respect each other and have kind of the same and are on the same page with goals and ambitions, but then have complementary skill sets. So we're not stepping on each other's feet and like, I know you got this. I know you got this go. I mean, and that, that's how I think we work, but I don't know. And, and that's, I mean, about the luck, like, I don't, I don't know that I would be doing this. I know that our work would not be the same without that, whatever it is that we have. Does that make sense? It, yeah. You know, so. Well, I think, and what's next for the, unless Kirby, did you want to add anything to that? Well, I also think we're, we're you know, we're, we're very ambitious with our projects. I mean, mm. uh, you know, I mean, I think that's extremely important to really achieve something that's, you know, really significant. You have to, you know, be so ambitious that you might fail. And we try to do that. We try to, you know, reach, uh, we, we try to have an ambi ambition that we're not certain we can reach as a, you know, because we want to, you know, we really want to land things in a powerful way. Okay. I think that's a very good, very good point. And what's next for the, for the two of you in terms of projects? Is there anything you can announce or um, give us a little bit of a taster of or most of the time people say oh i've got lots of projects but i can't talk about them now but uh how about uh what what, what are you guys working on we're working on a, a deep dive into the cosmetics industry so that's exciting and interesting and sort of um it's called not so pretty <laughs> hbo max hbo max yeah. excellent yeah. So that's, and, and 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 then the, the last thing i'll say is that um the, the four films I mentioned before, they're all equally kind of riveting. If you liked Alan B. Farrow, I suggest you check out our other films because they're as much as much as they're documentaries, they're really also films like they're really cinematic journeys that are kind of unique. And so I just want to underline that. Well, and I'll underline it, too. I thought the I thought the four episodes were, uh, well, very cinematic. I mean, it's very, very well well put together that's i mean said as a layman uh, but um yeah. I, I think um and maybe ask one last question if i may what do you want the uh it's probably the legacy you want for all your films what do you want the legacy to be of alan v farrow that you don't go out the same you're not you don't leave the same person you were when you came in that you learned something it was illuminating and enlightening and you've been transformed to be more empathic to understand this issue better, to do more good in the world. I mean, that's kind of like, it's, that would be what I would most want. And Kirby? I echo that. Yeah. Okay. Hey, well, thank you so much, um, you two, for coming on. It's been a pleasure to have you on. It's been a thrill to finally meet you and uh, uh, not you. just about this film, this series, but the, you know, your, your other films and you've, uh, 
I've described you as award-winning, but I know you've been nominated for Oscars and uh, won Emmys. So, uh, so it's been a privilege to to finally uh, meet you. And just to tell our audience, we've been uh, talking with Amy Ziering and uh, Kirby Dick, the filmmakers behind Alan V. Farrow, uh, still streaming, I'm sure, on HBO Max and Now TV in the UK. If you have any questions regarding how you can become a documentary director or producer like Amy Ziering and Kirby Dick or other roles in the industry, I recommend you check out careersinfilm.com to learn more about careers in the film industry. Shout out to our engineer, Freddie Bresbrode, and the rest of the team at This Is Distorted Studios in Leeds, England. A big thanks to Nevena Paunovic, our podcast manager at Alamo Pictures, who ensures we continue getting such great guests like Amy and Kirby on the show. And finally, a big thanks to our listeners. As always, we love to hear from you, so please keep sending us feedback and episode ideas, whether it is on YouTube, social media, or directly by email. And please remember to like us and share us with your friends and family wherever you happen to listen or watch podcasts. This is Factual America, signing off. You've been listening to Factual America. This podcast is produced by Almo Pictures, specializing in documentaries, television, and shorts about the USA for international audiences. Head on down to the show notes for more information about today's episode, our guests, and the team behind the podcast. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Alamo Pictures. Be the first to hear about new productions, festivals showing our films, and to connect with our team. Our homepage is alamopictures.co.uk.